We're going to be starting a brand new series this morning. It's titled Get in the Current. Um, and I want to kind of explain it to you. Obviously, we're going to be talking about uh, some important things that I believe God has placed on my heart. But kind of where the, the title comes from and kind of where this idea kind of sprang from was I remember when I was a kid, I, I remember, um, and I know different ages do different times, but when I was a kid, you got into the youth group when you were graduated from sixth grade, okay? So the summer before you were even in seventh grade, you got to be in the youth group. And, and so I was very excited about that. I was like, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm growing up. I'm in the youth group. I was the eldest in my family, so it was like the first kid to be in the youth group. And I was so excited. My, my youth pastor was a, was a guy named uh, Tim, and I was really excited about him, and, and he was great. And so they were going to do a big event in the summer, kind of to kick off summer. And it was my very first youth event. Now, I'm if you don't know this, I grew up in Kansas City, um, which is on the Missouri side of Kansas City. And so we would go, uh, we took a trip down to kind of central Missouri where the Ozarks are. Maybe you've heard of that uh, before, but that area, it's a beautiful area. And there's rivers and streams and kind of, we, we call them mountains there. They're not. They are glorified hills, okay? So you got to understand that. But to us Missourians, this was a mountain. So we would go down there, and so we went down to do some, we, we stayed at some cabins and kind of did this like summer retreat. And I don't remember exactly where we were, but we were down on a riverbank. And I remember Tim saying, now, now, now listen guys, you got to stay here, swim here, don't get out in the current. Now, I was, you know, about the sixth grade. Uh, I had a growth spurt later on in the summer. Uh, but before that, I was probably, you know, about 110 pounds dripping wet. Okay, I, I know that's hard for you to believe. And I was not a real big kid. And I remember kind of swimming and kind of doing, you know, in your sixth grade, you kind of want to show off a little bit, make sure everybody knows that you're cool to be in the youth group. And so I kind of started swimming and I got a little further out and I get a little further out and I got a little further out. And eventually I realized something. Currents are strong, especially when you weigh 110 pounds dripping away, okay? And so I got into the current, and I started to kind of realize I'm, I'm being pulled a little bit by this current. And I got pulled a little bit more, and then I started going, man, I need to get out of this current. This is not a place where I need to be. This is not a good place to be. And I could not get out of the current. And I remember just basically going, what do I do? What do I do? I, I, you know, do I yell? I didn't want to yell because I didn't want people to think I couldn't handle myself. You know, all that sort of stuff. Going through your, your sixth grade mind. Well, finally, somebody looked out and realized Aaron was being taken away. And somebody said, uh, Aaron, uh, Aaron, Aaron. And so I had some, some older guys in the youth group who were actually getting ready to be seniors um, that kind of went out there and, and saved me. And it was so embarrassing. Um, and it was so horrifying, you know, because here I am, this little kid, you know, this big senior grabs me and he's carrying me back. I felt like I was three. <sighs> it was not fun. But, but, but I just, I always remember that, getting caught in the current. And, and here's the thing I believe that God is, is doing and God wants to do. I believe over the next several weeks, this series will take us basically about through September, I believe. Um, so the next, you know, four to, uh, five to six weeks or so. Um, I believe that God is calling us as individuals and as a church to actually get into the current. Now, a lot of times we, we, we see current, and for me, when I think of a current, I think of something scary. And some of the things we're going to be talking about may actually be somewhat scary for you. 
But here's the thing. There is no better place, there is no safer place to be exactly where God has called us to be. And you know what? Sometimes it's going to be scary. I think we have this misconception about our lives as Christians. It's going to be soft and easy and comfortable and it's just not going to... Sometimes it's going to be scary. But with God, with his help, we are safe and we are good. We are exactly where he wants us to be. So before we jump into the current that we're going to be talking about, because we're going to be talking about a different current every week, I want to lead us in prayer. Father, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this opportunity to be together. And Father, as we look at these things, these places, these currents that I believe you have called us as individuals and as a church to be into, Father, I know that for some of us and for me including, it can be scary. It can be times where, because once we're in your current, Father, we've kind of lost control. Not in a way, Father, of, of, of not having control or being crazy, but we are at the mercy of your current. Because your current is strong. But God, you want to take us places that we can't go without you taking us there. And so we want to get in that current. So even though we're afraid sometimes, God, give us strength, give us peace, and give us hope. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you have your notes this morning, they're going to be up on the screen. Also, you should have grabbed some if you wanted to as you came in. But today, the first current we're going to talk about is, uh, is actually the first point, is this. It's get in the current of unity. Get in the current of unity. Um, one of the things I really enjoy, and some people this will come as a surprise, some people maybe not. I really, really enjoy symphony orchestras. And not just, you know, I'll listen to them on the radio or whatever. I remember as a kid, you know, I, we, we had this thing where, you know, I had a radio in the car, of course, and we had our program stations. It was always interesting to see what you could learn a lot by, by a kid, by the, the stations they had programmed into their radio. Well, one of mine was the classical station because I was weird. And I, but I've always enjoyed that. But even more than just listening to, I enjoy going to sympathy orchestras. I especially love doing it during Christmas, which you should come as no shock to anybody. But I love doing that. And if you've ever been to a symphony orchestra, something happens pretty much every time you go. So you'll go in and you'll sit down, and here it is. Here's all the people. Here's all the instruments. And there's, there's violins and violas and cellos and strings instruments and oboes and, 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 and bassoons and timpanis and trumpets and trombones. It, it's all these instruments. And there are just, it's just, a, just an amazing amount of people. And they're all sitting there, and they're all kind of waiting for sport to begin. And what's interesting is, as they're waiting, they're just kind of sitting there, kind of, well, then all of a sudden, somebody walks in. This guy walks in, and he has a, usually, I can't remember if it's a violin or viola, it doesn't matter. He walks in with something, I think it's violin. And he stands in front of everybody, and then he does something. He's the concert master, I believe. And then all of a sudden, this orchestra of all these different instruments begin to make some of the most horrendous sounds you have ever heard. I think, I think, don't quote me on this, I think the oboe plays a certain note, and everybody starts to basically tune their instruments, and it sounds horrible. It's... Everybody's... And it sounds... It's just, it's just a massive mess. And actually, quite honestly, it's not fun to listen to. And then he or she sits down. And then something else happens. Then, from one side of the stage, somebody comes out. They have a little baton in their hands. And they walk up 
and they get on usually a little podium. Now you got to remember, this is this group that has just made some really, really ugly music. Some really, really hard to listen to music. And this conductor will stand up. And for some reason, I don't know why, maybe it's, it's, it's part of the rules. You have to have crazy hair. I've always seen them with crazy hair. And they'll do this. Most of the time. And everyone gets ready. And then, with usually great fanfare, <laughs> and when that happens, these people who two minutes ago were producing some of the most ugly, just, just confusing sounds begin to play together and make some unbelievably beautiful music. When I think about unity, when I think about what the church should be when it comes to unity, that is a picture that comes to my mind. Now, here's what's interesting about that. If you want to kind of look at this, there is a person that comes out before the conductor, and that person comes out, and, and they try in a weird way. They try to get everybody unified, but even that person cannot do it. That concertmaster, as, as great as he or she is at playing their instrument, they do not have the ability in that moment to bring everyone together to make the type of music that is necessary and that is beautiful. It has to come from the conductor. It only comes from the conductor. And a lot of times what I've found in the church is we think if we could just get, check this out, if we could just get the right concert master, if we can just follow the right person who happens to kind of be in the orchestra, then we'll be able to make beautiful music. Listen, if you are trying to find unity in your life or in a church or in an organization and you're trying to find it in a person, it will not produce the type of music that you are looking for and that, more importantly, God is looking for. It has to be the conductor. It has to be Jesus. If you are looking to someone else to produce that in your life, you will find that it is not going to happen. This is in your notes, and I want you to get this. We all need to get unified under our conductor, who is Jesus. Now, what does that really mean? What does that really look at? I've written it out for you. We need to do and say and play, not what we want to do, say, and play, but what does our conductor say? What does he want us to do, say, and play? When we can do that, we can make beautiful music together. You know why unity is so hard? Because we want to play our own song. If you think about a symphony orchestra, you've got to understand this, especially if you go, I, I'm assuming, I, I, I don't know this, I'm assuming there's a Denver symphony orchestra. I don't know. I'm sure there is. I remember one time one of the greatest orchestras I ever saw, I was in Chicago, and I went to the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and they were absolutely amazing. And here's the thing about orchestras like that. Every single player in that orchestra is absolutely incredible. Every single one. If you set them up here as an individual and said, play, they blow your mind. They're that good. But they're never going to make the type of music that they have been called to make if they decide, I want to play my own song. 
I want to do my own thing. To be unified, it means kind of like Jesus said and like Paul asked us to do, we've got to die daily to what we want and what we think and not follow, listen, not follow necessarily the, the concert master, but follow the conductor. That's what we need to do. That's what is important that we do. Because listen, hear me here. Hear me. I have seen in the last six months, and I'm just going to be honest with you, and I, I'm talking about as a whole, as, our, as churches, as our country, I have seen more disunity and division than I have ever seen. And look, listen here. There, there, there's going to be disunity between light and darkness. That makes sense, okay? I'm not necessarily talking about that, although that is a part of what we're seeing. I'm talking about the disunity in our churches. The disunity in our churches. And it's something that I believe God is calling us to say, you know what? We need to get in the current. And here's the thing about unity that I found, and I'll speak for myself. There's been times where I have felt that I was in unity, but I haven't been. Okay? There's times where I've thought, you know, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm in unity, I'm unified. And really the truth is I haven't been. And so we need to check ourselves. We need to make sure that we are in this current. I want to look at this psalm, Psalms 133. In Psalms 133, we see some uh, scripture here. This is verse 1 through 3. And uh, this is a psalm of David. And I think it's a very, it's a very, I'll show you in a minute. It's got a picture here I want us to catch and want us to see when it comes to unity. So it's Psalms 133, starting with verse 3, this is what it says. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. How good and pleasant it is, okay, when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. And let's continue with verse 3. It is as if the dew of Hermon, Mount Hermon, were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessings, even life forevermore. Now, we have to remember something as we look at this, as we look at this psalm. There are some things here that we may not understand as much because we are not Jewish. We're not, don't understand some of these things. So I want to kind of bring some of these things out for you and, and, and for me to, as we can kind of understand a little bit more. Because what I want to ask you is I want to show you what we can really learn from this psalm. Obviously, the very beginning here, we're seeing this idea of how good and pleasant it is. How good it is when God's people are unified. We're going to see why that's the case later on. But let's look at some of the things that this psalm specifically shares with us so we understand those things. So what can we learn from this psalm? Number one, when God's people come together in unity, God pours out the anointing of his Holy Spirit. The anointing of his Holy Spirit. When we see in this scripture here, when we see this idea of oil and it being poured out on Aaron and all these things, the idea of oil in scripture symbolizes the spirit, symbolizes the Holy Spirit. It symbolizes this idea of anointing. Think about when David was anointed king. What did Samuel do? He poured oil over his head. 
And what's interesting about this, as we look at this, it doesn't say that God sprinkles the anointing. It doesn't say God drops the anointing. It says that God basically pours the anointing. So much so that it literally goes off of his head, off of his beard, all over him. It is a complete and utter covering of God's anointing. You go, well, yeah, but Aaron, that was, that was Old Testament. That was, that was the Jewish... Oh, Acts 2, folks. That's easy. Acts 2. When does the Holy Spirit come? When they're together in one place and in one accord, the Holy Spirit comes. There is an anointing that comes. There is an anointing that God wants to bring to you and to me and our churches, but we first have to get unified. Listen, I, I, I'm just going to try to be honest with you this morning. In some things that I've experienced and that I've seen, from certain people, I'm not saying people here, I'm just saying certain people who will sit there and they will scream, whether it be on social media or other platforms, about wanting God to bring a revival. Oh God, bring your anointing. Oh God, bring your revival. Oh God, do something great. And then if you look in their feed, you'll see so much disunity that I sit there and I go, are you kidding me? If you want the anointing of God to flow, and I hope that you do, we start by being unified. We start by being unified with our conductor. Next, when God's people come together in unity, there is blessing and life. There is blessing and life. When God's people will come together, God wants to do amazing things in our midst. God wants to do great and powerful things in our midst. But he says, listen, you want these things? You, you got to be unified. You got to get together. You got to start following the conductor. You got to be willing to not play your own song, but let the conductor lead the music. It's important that we understand that. It's important that we get that. Now, here's what's interesting, too, as we look at this song. This song names specific places. It names Mount Hermon, and it names Mount Zion. Now, to the, the people that are hearing this song, they know about these places. They live around these places. But we may not know that. So I want to give you a visual of what we're talking about here. Because in our scripture, we see this idea of dew. And everybody knows what dew is. But the dew from Mount Hermon basically coming over Mount Zion. So I, I, I found some pictures for you. So, so Monica, can you throw that first picture up there? This here, this is Mount Hermon. Okay? Now, we were, earlier we talked about hills, you know, in the Ozarks. This is not a hill. This is a mountain. Okay? And our scripture that we're looking at, the Psalm of David, talks about the dew that covers Mount Hermon. Okay? So this is a large mountain. Okay? Now I want to now show you a picture of Mount Zion. That's Mount Zion. Now here's what we have to understand. Remember we talked about earlier the mountains in the Ozarks? The mountains in the Ozarks are probably bigger than this. Okay? This is not a big place. Listen to what God is promising you and to me and to his church. He is saying if you will get unified the anointing that I will pour out, the blessings that I will pour out, the life that I will pour out will literally be like taking the dew from Mount Hermon and dumping it on Mount Zion. Here's what happens if that takes place. This place gets flooded. 
There is not room for the blessings of God. There is not room for the life that God wants to bring in us and through us. There is not room for the anointing that God wants to do. It is literally pressed down, shaken together, running over. Unity matters. Those are the pictures that I want you to understand. But here's the last thing that we need to understand when it comes to this song. When God's people are divided... The opposite of these two things are also true. When God's people are divided, listen, hear me here. You want to you put a, a cork in the, uh, in the anointing of God, get disunified. You want life to cease in a body of believers, get, 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 get divided. It's amazing how many books that I've read about and I'll show you if you want. I got it on my desk right now where people have studied dying churches. And you know what is constantly, always a part of the equation? Division among the body. Every single time. It is a way to cork up these things. It is a way to keep the anointing from flowing the way God wants it to. It is a way to keep blessings and life from being apart. We have to remember sometimes there's the other side of these coins. God's saying, listen, if you'll do this, I will do this. But if you refuse to do this, these things aren't going to happen the way I want them to. Unity matters. Unity is important. Now, let's move on to the New Testament. Let's look at something, because I think it's important that we look and see how a church handled this situation. So the second thing we're going to look at is learning from the early church about how to deal with potential division. Learning from the early church. We're going to be in Acts 6. Now, before we get to Acts 6, I want to kind of give you an idea of where we're at really quickly, okay? Obviously, Acts 2, the Spirit falls, the church really begins. We see thousands getting saved. Great things are happening in Acts 2 and 3. About Acts 4 and 5, we begin to see persecution coming. We start to see opposition taking place. And really, a lot of that really comes from uh, Satan attacking the leadership of the early church. Peter and John, uh, God uses them to produce a wonderful miracle. It's the miracle with the man at the, at the temple uh, gates, I believe, you know, where it says, silver and gold, have I none? And he stands up and walks. It's an amazing moment. And they're pulled in front of the Jewish leaders and they're, you got to stop this. You can't do this anymore. And we start to begin to see this opposition take place. And here's what's beautiful about this. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Satan knows there is something coming. He knows that this church, he's got to try to stop it now. You know, I watched Andy Griffith growing up. He wants to be like Barney. He wants to nip it in the bud right now. And so he starts with the leadership and it doesn't work. When we get to Acts 6, we begin to see his next plan to divide and conquer. His next thing, because listen here, folks, Satan knows how important unity is. He knows what it can do when we are unified and what it can do when we're not. So he comes again. So we're going to be in Acts 6. We're going to see how the early church handled this situation. Acts 6, starting with verse number 1. We're going to read it all, and then we're going to kind of come back and look at it together. But this is what it says. Acts 6, 1. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. 
The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so brothers select seven men who are well-respected and full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we, the apostles, can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked the idea and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Philip, uh, Procorius, I can't, Procorus, close. Nican, Timar, Nicholas of Antioch, all these guys. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. Now, we get to verse 7. We get to verse 7. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. So what's going on here? What, what's really going on? Real simple. Real simple. Let me help you out here. We as human beings are not real original. Problems they had, to problems we have. It's a sin problem, folks. And we all got sin problems. Okay? We, we, we love to try to make it into something. It's a sin problem. Hate is a sin problem. Okay? Discrimination is a sin problem. Disunity is a sin problem. And so what do we see here? What's going on? Well, basically, the church is growing. Things are happening. And, and basically, there is two separate groups of people. One, basically, are these Jewish people who are Hebrew Jewish people. And, kind of, and then the others are, are Greeks that, that are kind of converted. And so they, they've had years and years of kind of issues and problems and things like that. And basically, what's happening is they start complaining that basically, hey, wait a minute, we're not being treated fairly. We're not, we're not, our widows aren't getting enough food and, and all these sort of things. And so what the disciples do, what the apostles do, is they bring people together. They begin to look at it. They begin to try to figure out what to do and to deal with this issue. And I want to look at some of these things together because I think it's important that we learn from the pattern that we see here. Okay, so let's look at the pattern that the early church used to deal with this in this story. Where we start, I think this is important. We're starting with growth. We're starting with an amazing thing. We're seeing something great. We need to understand something. Satan is going to attack when good things are happening. He wants to destroy. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And so we see at the beginning of this story, hey, things are going well. Even in the midst of some, uh, uh, some, some opposition, they're growing. People are being added to their, their numbers. It literally says rapidly multiplying. And in that moment, in that moment where everybody should be coming together, what do we see? We see differences coming about. We see differences. You're not like me. You don't see the th same things I see. We don't have the same agreements on certain things. I'm not being treated fairly. What's interesting about these differences, if you really look at them, they're most of the time inward focused. I, I, I. My, my, my. And so differences arise. And when differences arise, here's what we always will find. Now we actually see a chance for potential division. Listen, here's what's great about this. Differences, I didn't put differences and then division. I put differences and then potential division. We're going to have differences, folks. 
We're different. Hallelujah, we're different. Good Lord, can you imagine if everyone was like me? I knew that would scare you. That would be the easiest way. We're not. We're different. There are going to be differences, and that will bring about a chance, a potential for division. But what did the apostles do? They brought people together, and they used wisdom. That's the next thing. Wisdom. They brought people together. They used wisdom to deal with the potential division. And when they did that, guess where we end? Growth again. Growth again. Why? Why do we see growth again? Mount Hermon, Mount Zion. That's why we see growth again. Do. This idea that the enemy wants to do. And we have to understand, this is from the enemy. The enemy is there to kill, steal, and destroy. The enemy is there to divide. The enemy loves to divide and conquer. And so what do we need to do now? Well, how can we apply this? What should we do? And, and, listen, and this is more than just, listen, hear me here. This is more than just church unity, okay? Obviously, that's a big part. But this is marital unity. This is family unity. This is grandparents and grandma and grandpa unity. This is unity all around. These are all things that God wants us to be unified in that the enemy wants to separate us in. So we need to look at that. The first thing, hear me, please hear me, because this is so not happening. Listen. Listen. You know, I remember growing up, my youth pastor telling me, you got two ears and one mouth. Listen twice as much as you talk. Ha, 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 that's good. Listen. It is amazing how we are not listening. We are just yelling at each other. You don't see the things I see. You don't believe the things I believe. Well, you're an idiot. We don't listen because we're too busy trying to figure out how to argue with each other. Listen. Now listen, here, here's, here's the thing. You can listen and come to the realization that what they're saying isn't right or good or true, but you're never going to really know that unless you listen. You've got to listen. Next, refuse to place blame. Refuse to place blame. I cannot tell you how many times I've had people walk into my office that are dealing with relational issues, youth, parent, husband, wife, all these sort of things. And you know what I hear almost every time? It's his fault. It's her fault. It's their fault. They did this. They did that. You know what that really does? It prevents healing. It prevents healing. What if in this situation, in this story, they said, well, you know what? Those Greek people, they don't know what they're talking about. Obviously, we as the Jewish people, we're God's chosen. So obviously, they're just complaining. They're just a bunch of complainers. We've got to be aware of that. We don't want to just place blame. Because when we place blame, what we tend to do is basically say it's their fault. It's their problem. Therefore, I don't have to change. We've got to understand that. Next, and this is a big one. With God's wisdom, with God's wisdom, with the conductor's wisdom, we should deal with the issues. They didn't say, well, let's just hope it goes away. They didn't say, ah, uh, what do we do? Let's not. They brought people together and they looked at the problem. Let's deal with these things. Because here's what happens. Issues usually don't go away on their own. They get bigger and bigger and bigger. 
So let's deal with them. They brought them together, they used God's wisdom, and they dealt with them. Next, be flexible. Be flexible. Because here's the thing. Maybe God's going to do something you don't expect. Maybe God's got a bigger plan than what you understand. I've had that happen to me so many times. And listen, sometimes I'm not very flexible. I need to do better in this. But be flexible. Because they found a solution that worked for everybody. And here's what's great about it. If you really look at it and you study it further out, it actually made the apostles more effective in what they were doing. It made everybody better because they came up with a solution that may have not been the initial one to think about. They were flexible. The final one is they refused to fear. They refused to fear. You know what I found when, when we deal with issues of unity we're afraid we're afraid of a lot of things sometimes we're afraid of you know if, if i'm flexible what will people think of me or or if i'm flexible what will this look like or or we're afraid that i mean i, I you know just trying to be honest with you I, I don't i don't like to be wrong and the bottom line is i'm wrong a lot i fear that sometimes there'll be times where i'll fight for something that I know is wrong just because I don't want you to think I was wrong. Why do I do that? Because I'm afraid. I'm afraid that you'll think less of me. I'm afraid that you'll think that I'm not a good pastor. I'm afraid that you'll think... Listen, fear makes us do things that really, really can cause issues in our lives. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Because here's the thing. When we are unified, some amazing things happen. Amazing things. So I want to close by looking at this because, you know, when we talk about unity and we look at these things, I really want to bring it home in, in a way that I believe should be a reminder to all of us all the time. And, and it's really just a simple one. Is, is why is unity so important? Why does it really matter? Is it really that important? Is unity with, with your spouse really that important? Is it with, in a church setting, is it really that important? Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I want to show you why. In John 17, don't put it up there yet, Monica. Did I beat you? Okay, good. In John 17, 16, 17, all these, Jesus, we have basically the longest prayer recorded by Jesus. He is getting ready to be taken and crucified. Okay, if this was the last words of Jesus, you get what I'm saying here. These are some important words. These are some important things. I would encourage you to study John 16, 17. I can't remember if it started. I know it's 17. I believe it's 16. I can't remember if it's 15. Forgive me. But I know it's right in that area where Jesus begins to pray. Because he doesn't just pray. And this is what's beautiful about it. He doesn't just pray for his disciples then. He's praying for us today. This is Jesus interceding for you and me. This is powerful stuff. Okay? Powerful stuff. So let's see what he prays in John 17. Okay, Monica, now if you put it, throw it up there. Thank you. John 17, 20 through 23. This is what he's praying. I am praying not only for these disciples, meaning the disciples that are there at the Last Supper, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. We're that all. Got it? We're the all. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I 
are one. Now, who is the you in that? Well, who's Jesus praying to? He's praying to his Father. Okay, this is some deep, heavy stuff. This is some major league stuff. He's praying that we as a body, we as his followers, will be one with each other just like God and Jesus are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. Let's continue. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love Why is unity so important? Real simple. So the world will know. The world will know that Jesus was sent to rescue them and that God loves them as much as he loves Jesus. If the worship team wants to come on up, Look, I, I am inundated with emails from organizations. How to reach the world, how to reach your community, and, 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 and great, fine, and dandy. And those, some of those ideas are great, and we've used some of them, I mean, and we'll continue to use the wisdom that we're, we're share, shared with. I mean, we, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. But how is the world really going to know? You know, because Jesus says here, listen, if we can get unified. And, and what's interesting is the, the, the wording that we see here is, is this idea of, of when Jesus kind of spoke as well of this grafting into the vine. It's, it's not, it's not, um, and I, I, I probably can't do this right now, but it's not me putting my arm around John. Unity. What Jesus is calling us to with him and with God is literally fusion. Okay? It's literally two things coming together and fused together. It's not two pieces of steel being placed closely. It's literally two pieces of steel being welded together so that the molecular level is intertwined with each other. That's what Jesus and the Father are. We have this beautiful picture of unity that God gives us every day if we'll just realize it. It's called the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons in complete and total unity. Not separate from each other, but literally intertwined. When Jesus looked at us and said, listen, I want to graft you into the vine. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He's not talking about being close to Jesus. He's literally talking about being enveloped with Jesus. When you're a kid, you don't say, Jesus, will you please just stand real close to me? You invite Jesus into your heart. 
we are allowing God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, not the courtyard of the Holy Spirit. And in this prayer, Jesus is communicating a beautiful message. He's saying, listen, if you will come and if you will be unified in me and with each other, the world will know. It doesn't say the world might know. It says the world will know. And can I just be honest with you? Let's go back to the illustration of unity and, and the symphony. The church as a whole, during all this stuff, Good Lord, we've played some ugly music. We've been so concerned about ourselves that we've missed an opportunity to be unified together, standing strong for what God has called us to do. Listen, I know some of us, let's just be honest, we have, we have listened to concert masters trying to tune the orchestra and we haven't followed, we haven't followed the conductor. You want to make beautiful music? You want this church and your family to make some beautiful music? It's real simple. You follow the conductor. You put aside your wants, your desires sometimes, and you say, you know what, God? I'm going to follow you. I'm going to be unified first and foremost with you, Jesus, and then I'm going to be unified with those that you placed around me. Not because I always agree, not because we always have to see eye to eye, but because we understand that there's something greater than us. There's something that needs to take place, and that is quite simply the world needs to hear some beautiful music that can only be produced when a symphony of God of people come together and begin to follow the conductor and allow him to make a difference in our world. It's not going to be an election. It's not going to be the end of all the stuff. It's going to be God's people coming together, unified under the conductor saying, you know what? We're going to show people and people are going to know. It doesn't say they'll know we're right. It says they will know that Jesus came to rescue them. They will know that they are loved. Listen, I want to be a person who when I enter a room, when I enter a place, when I spend time with my friends or my family, they walk away and go, oh my good Lord, Jesus loves me so much. Not Aaron was right. Not Aaron knows best. Not Aaron always knows what to do. But walk away going, oh my goodness. But it comes when we're unified. It comes when we as families and as people and as churches and as communities, as believers are unified under the conductor. So here's what we need to do. First and foremost, okay, because this is the first part of this. Can we just be honest with each other? Some of us have got the wrong music in front of them on their music stands. You don't understand, you got the wrong music. You've been listening 
to other things and other people and not the word of God when it comes to where we're dealing with the things we're dealing with right now. And so, of course, there's going to be disunity. So first and foremost, we need to all check our music. Make sure we're looking at the right sheet music. And that sheet music is God's word. It's not your whims. It's not your thoughts. It's not your desires. It's what God's word says. And when we can do that, then we have to realize, number two, that we can't always play our own song. There'll be times, and this is great, there are times where God says, you know what, you can play your own song. But when we come together as an orchestra, that is not that time. At that time, it's time to make some music together. You know, there's a time for that. That's called solos. Okay? I don't go to a symphony orchestra to just hear solos. That happens sometimes. I go to hear the music all together. Okay? And then the final thing, we just got to listen to the conductor. And sometimes the conductor is going to ask you to do something. You're going to get into that current of unity, and you're not going to be all that happy about it. But you know what? The benefits from unity so outweigh anything else you could think of. It's time to get in the current. It's time to get in that current. So I want to pray with you and over you. And then we're going to have John and and the worship team come and just lead us in a chorus. And then we'll close. Father, I come to you right now and I thank you for this time. And Father, this is not, this is about unity to you. We could have disagreements. Your early church had disagreements. There was, I could have picked three or four or five other instances where there was disagreement, where there was potential division. But God, it's not about the division that's possible. It's about your God's people saying, no, unity is more important. Unity matters. We will fight for unity because we want, God, your anointing. God, we want your blessing. God, we want life to be flowing. Those things easily by themselves make unity enough. But if it wasn't, if that wasn't enough, Jesus, you've communicated that when we're in unity, others, the world, people that don't know you, will know you, you came for them, will know that you love them. We don't need another billboard. We don't need another program. We need God's people to come together and to unify and show the world some beautiful music. And it starts with us. Jesus, it starts with us. We have to do it as individuals. And if we will do it as individuals, it'll be amazing what will happen. So Jesus, I pray for every individual. I pray for me. I pray that we would understand that unity literally does start with you. Starts with you. And that we will focus not on each other, not, well, they're not unified or they don't believe it, that we will start with us and we will get the sheet music right. We will learn from the conductor. We will not play our own song and we will look to you because you are the author and the finisher of our faith, perfecter of our faith. And you will lead us in some beautiful music that will literally change our world. Bring us together. We love you and we thank you and help us in the name of Jesus. Let's all stand. John's going to come and lead us in a closing song.
together, God, with, 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 with ties that cannot be broken. Help us, because God, we are, a lot of times we're, we're more focused on us than everybody else. And so God, I pray for, for us as a church that you would bind us together. Father, you would remove division in the name of Jesus. Wherever it lies, that you would remove it in the name of Jesus so that we can be unified. Father, I pray against disunity in families right now in the name of Jesus. In marriages, in the name of Jesus. In children-parent relationships, in friendship, in any type of relationship. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would remove that division. And that you would bring forth restoration in that situation. And that, Father, also we claim our promise that when we are unified, that our mountaintops will be overwhelmed with your anointing, your blessings, and your life. We claim our promise. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. Listen, I hope you have a wonderful week. It's so good to see you. For those that are online, we love you. We're glad that you're, you're with us in this way. We miss you so much. We hope to see you soon. For all of everybody else, I love you so much. We'll see you soon. Have a great week.